Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. You always try to add, like, make it a song. I've no, like you're I, doing a that a lot lately. There's a great temptation. There's a great temptation to make it a song. You're 100 percent right. See, there's already you're not hearing it because we don't listen to our own theme song before we start recording every right, time. Right. But but that did just play. You didn't just hear it, but it did. So it'd be like a song and a song. You can't do a song and a song. There is. You're saying that there is already a theme song, so I don't necessarily need to do another theme song. Right. That makes perfect sense. Like, why me. would you follow a theme song with another theme it makes song? Makes perfect sense. Honestly, it makes perfect sense. That would be confusing and disorienting for our audience. Yeah, if there were two theme songs. Mm-hmm. Well, because then when you're in the midst of the second theme song, you have to start to dread. Like, is a third. Is there theme a third song. theme song, a, a less capable, a third yet less capable theme song on the way? It'll, it would feel very like David S. Pumpkins, like where singing. Won't. Are you where referencing the David S. Pumpkins um, animated special that only you and I and our daughters have watched? <laughs> yeah. You can't even find it on, on, on like streaming anymore. It's just we saved it on our on our Apple TV or but something. It's become it's become like a Halloween tradition. And by Halloween tradition I mean we watch it the entire month of October and well every other month of the year always. Constantly. We because our children love put it. But it pretty much verbatim. It's funny. It's got some good lines. Anyway. <laughs> um, and so great and a great is, song. Can you guys recommend a great David S. Pumpkins based Halloween special? That's from Justin. <laughs> No, this is a, uh, we're going to do your questions and answers. Everybody loves it when we do these, and we love doing them, and it's just fun. It's some, the you know, temperature's going up. You know, everybody's out there living their lives. So we are going to take your questions and turn them alchemy-like into wisdom, medical wisdom. Still not advice. No, not advice. Just like it's the, the essence of weird medical questions mm. are just like things you wonder about um, but aren't necessarily the – I mean, sometimes they're important for your own personal health, but sometimes it's just like a curiosity kind of thing. Yeah. As always, if it's an actual, I am worried about my body and my health question, you should ask your personal healthcare provider, not me, Sydney, the podcaster. Uh, so let's get into it. Do you want to read the question? Yes, or... I'm going to read the question to Okay. You. Okay. I'll inhabit the listener. <laughs> we'll do it. Hi, I've been hearing a lot about we missed a few opportunities for COVID to become endemic. Or that once it's endemic, we're good, but I haven't actually seen anyone say what that means and what it looks like other than the big idea that endemic equals good. Do you think you guys might be able to talk about this? Thanks, Erica. So we there has been a lot of talk about whether or not COVID has become endemic. I would say not. we're not quite there, but that is the direction that we're heading as opposed to, I think, early in the 
pandemic, there was this idea that a lot of people had that we were going to like vaccinate our way out of it mm. and it would go away. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that is not going to happen. Right. COVID is not going to go away. People are going to continue to get COVID. Our hopes moving forward is that, and this is when people talk about something becoming endemic. What they're saying is that it will consistently be present. That's Mm -hmm. an endemic disease is always there within a certain region or population or whatever. But um, it's more predictable because we know it's coming. Like we get the flu every year. Right. You know, in in a lot of parts of the world, endemicity. We talk about malaria. Endemicity. I don't the think concept I've ever heard of that word. being endemic. Got it. <laughs> like okay. malaria is endemic to certain parts of the world, so it's predictable that people are going to get malaria. We know about we know about how many people on average are getting something. Right. So what that allows us to do are several things. One, we can focus on effective treatments and like you know continuing to evolve vaccines as needed, like we've seen with influenza. Um, And two, it helps to keep hospitals and healthcare facilities from being overwhelmed if you know the times of year and what to predict and what to expect and those sorts of things. Um, In a perfect situation, this would also motivate masking at appropriate times, you know, depending on what the levels are, you know, of COVID in the population at that moment or the situation indoor versus outdoor. Um, And it would also encourage more people to get vaccinated. Uh, so that when inevitably you do get COVID, hopefully it's not as bad. Okay. Um, and to protect people who, for whatever reason, cannot get vaccinated or the vaccines don't work. Mm-hmm. That is sort of the direction we're moving. Um, levels are high right now in a lot of places here in Cabell County. I don't know if you know that, Justin. Thanks. I didn't before, but it's... You wouldn't You wouldn't know um, if you left the house. <laughs> there is no indicators from anybody's behaviors or anything that the yeah. levels are high you don't really see masks ever anymore here. here well i mean i work in healthcare, so i see masks all the time okay, in the well, situations i work no need to brag but no well, you're right outside of outside of my workplaces there really aren't here um but that that would be what we're moving towards we're not there i think it's still really important to remember so like using no risk you know, preventative measures like masks, which are no risk whatsoever, is still really important um, depending on the level in your community. Um, I, and monitoring yourself, you're, using a test if you think you're sick, like stay home. Been seeing it pop up a lot. Like, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Facebook's, I know this is confirmation bias, but I've been seeing a lot of folks on my my feed getting, getting sick. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's no risk because when I'm wearing a mask, people miss out on half of the goods, you know what I mean? They're just getting the top half. Very good, but it's not the full goods. We're not we're not there yet. I would say that COVID being with us permanently, a lot of people were like, well, then we should just give up and go about our lives. No, no, we, we shouldn't do that. But we should, how can we live with COVID while protecting everybody as best we can, but also continuing on our existence. I mean, that there has to be a balance. It can't just be like, well, let's just throw our hands up in the air and I'll go get COVID at once. And super reminder, kids under five still can't get vaccinated. So <sighs> it should be coming soon. Well, there's not a question about that, but they're in. Oh, and boosters, by the way, we meant to talk, we should talk about that last yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Kids um, five, five and 12. up five, yeah, five to 12 can now get their boosters and should get their boosters. So do that. And hopefully by the end of this month, there will be a vaccine for kids under five. Fingers crossed. 
Recently, while waiting in line at the grocery store, a stranger standing behind me told me that there have been studies done in India that show that humming releases nitrous oxide, which kills COVID. And people have been people in India have been carrying their own COVID via humming. That is, can I just say, wild story, yet wilder. Just be like, hey, hey, I'm a stranger. Excuse me. Can I tell you some wild stuff? I, a stranger, would like to tell you some wild thing. Obviously, this guy was spewing nonsense, but I was wondering about any potential theoretical kernels of truth to what he was saying. Does humming release nitrous oxide, uh, et cetera? Thanks, Natalie. Okay, here's what's wild. So anytime I hear something like this, I don't just dismiss offhand, even though I know, okay, obviously humming doesn't cure COVID. I know that. We all know that. We know that. We don't have to be medical professionals to know humming doesn't cure COVID. But might cure a gloomy day. <laughs> when you hear that, you have to think somebody did a, something. There, yeah, this comes from some somewhere. Sort of like nut. this isn't. Salt, yeah, grain of truth there. Yes, there's something underneath. Or grain of something. So okay, there. I found some studies, specifically a Swedish study from 2002 that looked at nitrous oxide levels in the nose <laughs> before and after humming. Do do you does humming release more nitrous oxide? That's the first question. Is that true? Yes, it does. That is a fact. There are studies that have looked at like the contents of your paranasal sinuses. They're just, you have several different, you have a couple different sinuses, right? You have a few different places, which are just like empty spots in your skull, which unfortunately can get infected sometimes. Um, they measured the levels of nitrous oxide and found that if you hum, you will increase those levels. Okay. Okay. What is the utility of that? Well, in that study, what they were saying is um, so if, if humming causes this increase in nitrous oxide and also ventilation, like clearing, you know, ventilating the sinuses, mm -hmm. um, can you reduce the risk for sinusitis with this? Because nitrous oxide has been shown to prevent the replication of some viruses like coronavirus in a lab and a you know, in, course, under those studies. Yeah. Well, lots of things do that, right? We've talked about this before. We have a great magnet that a listener sent us on our refrigerator that says, whenever somebody tells you that something kills cancer cells in a Petri dish in a lab, remind them, so does a gun. Like, there are lots of things that can kill germs and bad things in laboratory settings that we can't necessarily translate to our human bodies, right? right. It's why we don't put bleach in our veins. Yes, I remember <laughs> Um, so can nitrous oxide be utilized to do this in the human body? There's no evidence right now that like there is a clinical effect that we can expect. Yes, nitrous oxide might prevent the replication of coronavirus in a lab. What does that mean in the human body? We don't know. They've tried in terms of prevention. I couldn't find anything that really like looked into it. That's a hard thing to say, right? Mm -hmm. Like hum all day and we'll see who gets COVID. <laughs> I mean, that's a wild study to do. Um, so I don't have any evidence that, like, doing that would prevent COVID in real life. Now, as a treatment, they've tried it. They mm. have they have tried during the pandemic in different places to give patients, and usually these were, like, very, very sick ICU on the ventilator patients were given nitrous oxide to see if it would improve their rate of survival. And? Um, inconsistent. And a lot of the times it's like you're trying, especially during the height of the pandemic, if something was pretty low risk and you were trying it, it you weren't just going to try it and want, like, try it in everybody who you thought was going to die anyway was sort of a, 
I mean, you saw this. Are you saying, I was, is it fair to say then that it's not, couldn't hurt? Uh, humming? No, I don't think humming would hurt. I think that one author wrote, in the absence of effective treatments or vaccines, humming could be a reasonable thing to do. So if you've got nothing else, I guess hum, which is, I don't know if this is like just a philosophy on life. Yeah. Um, But no, humming, There we have no definitive evidence in any way that humming prevents COVID. There is a grain of truth in there about humming and nitrous oxide and nitrous oxide and what it can do to viruses in labs. So there, there is some sort of theoretical basis for it. Right. But to just say that everybody can walk around humming and they won't get COVID, no. But. No, no. no but. No. If you have COVID. I mean, if you want to hum, hum. Couldn't hurt to hum. It might actually be a nice little boost. If you want to hum out, hum out. Is that but it? I don't think that works as well as saying. <laughs> Uh, I had another question for you. Yeah. I heard that the acne medication Accutane turns your bones green, and this would only be visible upon autopsy. <laughs> Obviously. That's from Adam. So I, I, you know, it's funny. I took Accutane as a teenager. I'm familiar with Accutane. It has a, there are a lot of uh, reasons to be careful with Accutane. It has a lot of um, Dangerous side effects in some patients. Uh, You absolutely cannot take it if you are pregnant or could become pregnant or, well, if you need to take precautions not to get pregnant while you're on it. Anyway, there are lots of risks with Accutane. I had not heard of this one. Um, And I so I looked into it. I couldn't find anything linked to Accutane, the acne medication. This is where I think, though, there was a mix up. So there is another medication that we do use for acne sometimes. It's an antibiotic. It's a form of doxycycline, which is in the class of antibiotics, the tetracyclines. And um, it's called minocycline. Minocycline can turn your bones green. Okay. So what I'm thinking is that this was the mix-up. This was the acne medication that, yeah, it, it can, in fact, do that. Tetracycline can turn them yellow. Mm. Minocycline can turn them a, a sort of green shade. Okay. Um, it, and it has to do with the way it's. it, it actually is taken up and binds to the bones. Um, this is why they're, for some for children, it, you have to be careful with these kinds of uh, medications because they can have permanent tooth discoloration. Oh. And you'll see some people have that. Like it took us a while to figure out. So you'll see some adults who have some permanent tooth discoloration or gum discoloration, and it's from being exposed to these tetracycline class of antibiotics. That's wild. Early on, yeah. That's wild. But so it can it can turn bones. Minocycline can turn bones green. Tetracycline can turn them yellow. Minocycline is used for acne. I think that's okay. where that came from. All as right. far as I know, Accutane, with all of its other risks, this is not this is not one of them. Hello, doctors, Sydney and Justin. Oh, thank you. My boyfriend is physically unable to sit cross-legged, crisscross applesauce. I think it's because he doesn't stretch enough and that he should be able to if he just stretches once in a while. He will not try it. He thinks it's genetic and he'll never be able to do it. His brother and father can also not sit this way. It's actually common to not be able to sit cross-legged even if you stretch. That's from uh, Best Regards from Agnes in Malaysia. Hmm. I don't know. I thought this was a really interesting question. I don't know of any reason genetically um, outside of obviously there are sort of like there are syndromes, genetic syndromes that can involve lots of different clinical manifestations, signs and symptoms. Um, and among them may be certain like physical limitations, but right. it wouldn't be just this. You know what I mean? There's right. not a genetic syndrome that says you cannot sit cross-legged, but that is the only 
you know, that is the only issue related to it. Um, so outside of those sorts of things, it, I, this is a common problem. As I started looking into it, I found that a lot of people ask this question, why can't I sit cross-legged anymore? Or I have so much trouble sitting cross-legged. Or, or they're being told to do something like um, like yoga or some sort of like exercise stretching kind of program. And part of it is sitting cross-legged and they can't do it. Um, it it's because there are multiple parts of the leg and hip that are involved in sitting cross-legged. And if any of those parts are having issues, it can be more difficult. So it's, just, it's like a complex thing we do. Hmm. Sitting cross-legged is like a complex physical action. So if you have like problems with your hips, like weak, you know, weakness in your hips, or if you have like in, inflammatory conditions in your hips, it can prevent you from sitting cross-legged. Obviously, if you have knee issues, it can be weak glutes, your butt muscles. Not me. Right if you haven't been working your glutes, Powerful, but. <laughs> if your thighs are weak, um, there are lots of different reasons that you might have trouble sitting cross-legged. And it, I mean, I guess it sort of comes down to flexibility. Yeah. Um, yes. But it should be something that you can, if you, especially if you go to like a physical therapist, that they could assess you and help you work on if it was a concern. Or you just keep living your life. Or you just don't sit cross-legged. But as far as I know, there isn't a specific genetic condition that only causes this issue okay there it is uh i tell you what do you want to take a break yeah that sounds good let's go to the billing department let's go the medicines the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth we have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web 
design artist, but you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. And the three of us host The Flop House. It's a podcast where we watch a new bad movie and then we talk about it. Dan, you say it's hosted by the three of us. We've had a lot of great guest co-hosts like Gillian Flynn, Jamel Bowie, John Hodgman, Jessica Williams, Wyatt Cenac, Joe Bob Briggs, Josh Gondelman, Roman Mars. Yeah, and you said new movies. But what about the time we did Meatballs 2? Okay, okay. Yeah, sometimes we do older movies and sometimes we have guests, but mostly it's about us talking about like recent bad movies. And don't forget about the ones where I made you do a role-playing game where you played cartoon dogs. All right, yeah. Shouldn't a promo be a really simple explanation about what our show's about? So what's the show about, Dan? What's it about? (laughs) What's it about? It's about friendship, all right? It's about our friendship and how we love each other. The Flophouse. It's a podcast mostly about bad movies on Maximum Fun. Do you sometimes wonder whatever happened to the kids at your school who really loved Star Trek? You might remember a kid like me, the one who read the Star Trek novels and built Starship models. I also took music classes to avoid taking gym classes that required showering after, but I don't see what that really has to do with- Or a kid like me. I introduced myself to kids at my summer camp one year as Wesley, but when the school year started and some of those kids were in my new class, I actually had to explain to my friends that I had tried to take on the identity of my favorite Star Trek character. The shame haunts me to this day. I'm sure some of those Star Trek fans from your childhood grew up to have interesting and productive lives, but we ended up being podcasters. On The Greatest Discovery, you'll hear what happens to two lifelong Star Trek fans who didn't grow up to be great people, but just grew up to be people who love jokes as much as they love Trek. So listen to our new episodes every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Hi. Unfortunately, I have a question about poop. Why do some people poop out whole corn corn kernels after eating corn? People have been eating corn for thousands of years, so shouldn't everyone be able to digest it? Um, And they say thanks, whoever wrote this in. Um, Um, Is it, can I guess? It's just that you got to chew it. You got to chew it. Yes, you do need to chew it, but that's not. The outside it from your tummy. Yeah. So you got to chew it. Well, you do have to chew it. Got to chew it. But can your body break it all down? Yeah, no problem. No. Oops. Corn is high in cellulose. Oh. Cellulose is a form of insoluble fiber, mm. and your body cannot break that down, cannot digest that. Um, but it breaks down all the other stuff in corn. So that's why, like, we still get stuff from corn. There are still things in corn you that are- something out of corn. Yeah, you can still get something out of corn, um, even at, even though we, we don't actually- digest the cellulose and like you said cellulose is an important part of plant you know structure and protection and all that kind of stuff which is why plants continue to have cellulose despite our inability to digest them yeah. um if you chew it longer 
you can access more nutrients, so there is some truth there. Like, Thank you. If you break down more of the the cell walls, chew, then chew, you can chew till you get to twenty two. That's my thing. Um, there is a uh, way of preparing corn. I, I found this um, nixtamalization. Nixtamalization. Mm. Wow. Uh, and you soak the corn in lime. Oh, it breaks it down. The acidity breaks it down. Mm-hmm. Huh. And nice. and then. Um, you can actually enhance how much it is digestible if oh. you go through that process. And that is used, like, specifically for, like, cornmeal, tortillas, tamales, those sorts oh, of products made out of corn. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and you, I have, I, when we, when we were trying to figure out how to make arepas, mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've stumbled across like w- looking for the right product that had been through this processing or hadn't or whatever, like the differences and all this kind of stuff. But that's, that is why that's part of it. Um, but it does make it more digestible. So, but yeah, that's why, so no, you can't break down the cellulose. So that's why you're going to see something in your poop. But if you chew it more, you won't see so much. There it is. <laughs> if it bothers you. Hi, Sydney and Justin. I was wondering if there's any sort of correlation between height and catching airborne illnesses. I'm 6'5", so my head is well above the zone where most folks cough and sneeze. I know it wouldn't matter if I'm in a room or in closed space for a while, but am I less likely to catch a cold when someone doesn't cover their sneeze on the street? Love the show, Chris, they, them. Um, You know... I had never considered if height would have a diff would would make an impact, and so, but I assumed someone would have done this study. I couldn't find a study. It's, it's so rare that when someone asks a question, or if I think of a question, that somebody out there hasn't already said, "Huh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some money and do that study." Um, it has to be now. Logically speaking, it has to be better. It well, has to be at least some modicum better. This is no. This is really conflicting through COVID. There were articles published where they didn't – okay, nobody obviously is going to – in order to do this properly, what you'd have to do is have a population of people above a certain height and below a certain height Mm -hmm. and expose them via sneezing or something in a room and see how many people get an illness, right? Yeah, it would be quite a production just so at the end of it you can be like, well, there you have it. (laughs) I guess tall people don't get germs as bad. Right. Nobody's going to do that. So, like, it's you'd have, you have to do them retrospectively and look at, like, the heights of people who got different illness. It's hard to do. It's a tough study, right? It, this right. is tough. Um, but what they – there was a suggestion during the pandemic at one point that tall people were actually more likely to get COVID. Why? Nobody knew. Okay. But then I saw some articles that suggested that, no, actually, tall people are less likely to get COVID. I don't think anybody knows is the point. Okay. Right now, I don't think we have any definitive correlation between your likelihood of getting some sort of respiratory illness and your height. Right now, I have no— That was a long walk around for you to say, I don't know. Well, it's interesting (laughs) because there are people who have written about this. So I can see where, like, you might—like, if you you Google it and start reading, you'll find articles where people are like, oh, my gosh, tall people got COVID so much more. (laughs) And other people are like, no, 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 no. It was short people who got COVID more. Do you remember that, that first few months of COVID where it's like every week you'd hear a different, like— Here's the new thing. Anyway. I think the thing is um, it depends on the size of the droplet would be my other thing. You don't need large respiratory droplets to transmit COVID because it's airborne. Mm. And so height would play less of a factor. Whereas if you're talking about something that is only transmitted through large respiratory droplets, which won't go very far before they drop, 
right? Mm -hmm. Like if they're expelled from your nose because they're heavier, they're going to drop faster. Mm -hmm. Then that would, but and and some illnesses are transmitted that way. Okay. So, but so I mean, again, I don't. You don't know. Well, I don't know. Um, my boogers and snot have recently turned fluorescent greenish yellow, like bright lime green with a tinge of yellow, and are opaque. I'm not. This is grossing me out. Okay, come on, Justin, get it together. This is for the saw boners. I'm not sick, and nothing else about them is different. Am I dying? And then they attached a photo? Of a color. Oh. It was a color square. Okay. Yes. And then they did not, this this uh, email writer did not want their name mentioned, because then fair, everybody would, know, would know about their boogers. Would know their terrible secret. I understand. I understand. No, and they did not send me a picture of a booger. They sent me a picture of a I color. I don't want to hear the word booger anymore. Okay. Uh <laughs> I just wanted to, this is always an important thing to return to because a lot of people will associate the color of their snot or boogers with like, uh-oh, an infection. Um, and certainly if you do have some sort of infection, you can see a change in the color of your mucus because there's white blood cells that are, you know, there to attack things. And that, and that changes the consistency and color of your mucus. Okay. So yes, that can happen. However, it can also happen if it's more concentrated. So sometimes it's clearing out invaders, and that's why blood cells doing that. Sometimes it has to do with um, concentration because you're dehydrated. Okay. So your mucus will get thicker and darker if you're not drinking enough fluids. Okay. So, so increase the hydration. In increasing hydration sometimes can change that. Um, so, yeah. My wife was recently gifted a small, about the size of a fly. I can't think of anything, anything other than bugs. I don't know why. Piece of plutonium that their father got from a nuclear testing site. Knowing me well, they both stressed that I cannot eat this piece of plutonium. I know I probably shouldn't eat it, but can I? Would I survive? Would it have lasting effects? Or can I eat this tiny radiation rock? Friend, can I just say real quick? I don't know how, you've been, how long you've been listening to our show, but in what reality did you expect my wife, Sydney Small McElroy, to be like, yeah, go ahead and pop that bad boy in. You know you're not going to get permission here. Why would you come here for permission? Yeah, let me let me preface whatever else I say with do not eat the plutonium. I'm going to go hog wild and say <laughs> most rocks. She would say don't eat it. There, yeah. Yeah. I mean, generally. But don't eat the plutonium. Um, if what we're talking about is will this kill you, I mean, it really depends on how much plutonium it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, what happens is when plutonium gets in your body, it can get into your bones. It can become part of your liver. like, And it stays there for decades. It doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. Like it's there, part of you for maybe your entire life, right? Um, and because it's there emitting radiation for decades – it can cause cancer and uh, sometimes immune system problems. And just generally, it's not good to be exposed to radiation. Exactly like would that much do that to you? It's hard to say. It has to do with how much radiation it's emitting, which you can measure. And there are acceptable levels. You can look up all this. Like there are acceptable levels of radiation that you can be exposed to through your life. And, it's, and they ha that's really important for people who like work in radiology, right? You need to know how much radiation you can be exposed to safely. Um, so I don't know that this – fly-sized piece of plutonium would do this to you. But I don't know that it won't. So don't, don't, eat, eat the don't eat plutonium. Don't eat You're, plutonium. We're all going to get exposed to radiation in our lives. Okay, Let's I'm not seek out I'm extra. I'm cutting you off. Hey, I was wondering <laughs> how medical, especially 
hospital staff strike. For retail, it seems reasonably simple to organize a mass walkout for everyone to quit because someone is unjustly fired. But in hospital, you can't just do that, can you? Do you guys even have the option to strike? Is there something you can do to make sure your patients are cared for, uh, et cetera? Uh, so this is the question, striking in the medical field. Hope you guys are staying healthy and safe, Gail. I thought it was interesting because we've had strikes here recently yes, we have, at our sure. hospital. Um, recently. It was not the um, – so first of all, I I don't know in this country. I There are a few unionized residency programs, I think, in New York. But for the most part, doctors are not part of any sort of organized anything. Yeah. Yeah. The AMA does not count. We're not – we would not – we, we have lot, no way to strike. It's a organization, right? Exactly. And they do not speak for all of us. Very important. There would be no organizational structure for doctors to strike, so I've certainly never seen that happen. I'm not saying it hasn't, but, like, I, that is not going to be common. Um, certainly, like, other healthcare workers, like nurses and other staff within the hospital definitely have unions and can go on strike and do. And this happened recently at our local hospital. Um, and it was extremely difficult. I mean, it was basically the impetus was on the administration to figure something out. Mm -hmm. Um because they didn't figure it out first by negotiating fair contracts. Um, so we they had to hire a ton of, like, temporary travel positions and that kind of thing to fill a lot of vacancies. Um, they know that the strike will come, right? Yeah, I mean, part like, of it is that they're given warning for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, so you know you have to have a plan in place. Yes, and so there, so the, the, a, a plan gets in place to bring on temporary staff, and then honestly, like— administrators were going around emptying trash and stuff and carrying laundry around. Inspiring. No. Gosh. No. <laughs> um, and then a lot of stuff slows down. A lot of stuff slows down a lot is the truth. It was interesting. I went, um, when I was working at a hospital in Malawi, I saw a strike happen. And um, the it was like a soft strike. It's like a, basically that, they they didn't want to the nursing staff didn't want to leave the patients uncared for but they also did want to get the message across so it was like they would come in like just a lot of people would call in so there would still be people there and you could still take care of the patients but it would move a lot slower and it would be very frustrating for administration mm -hmm. so i thought that was kind of a cool message to send we're going to take care of the patients but we're going to make your life hard until you you know, pay us fair wages and, and all the different things that they were asking for. But anyway, yeah, that is that is how strikes happen. And it, it, it usually is because there's a lot of forewarning given. Um, and then you can, like, transfer patients to other hospitals or bring in travel nurses or whatever you need to do to try to fill those vacancies. What would be better is if we just paid everybody a fair wage and gave them good benefits and, you know, made made their job enjoyable to have because they it provides for their family and their life that they don't strike. That would be great. What about that? That's a better plan. I that think. applies to all industries, I think. My sister recently had some stomach ulcers that sent me down a rabbit hole of Googling acidity and water enhancers and energy drinks. I came across some information, who can say if it's reliable, that listed the pH levels of different soft drinks, energy drinks, and water enhancers. You ever find those websites? It's like, who is doing this? Who, who made this big list of caffeine content and diet sodas? <laughs> anyway, the information I got listed some drinks at a pH of 3.5. This is the same pH range as stomach acid. Well, I've always been dubious of the way information is presented and want to know, does a pH level necessarily represent the acid power of something? Can I drink a soda and be fine, 
but I have vomited before and the stomach acid burned my throat. So what exactly is going on here? Um, it's so I did find you can find like studies where they they list the pH of different beverages that are legit. Like these are real. Um, and this was the specific study that I found was done uh, to look at um, damaging dentition, like how what acid level will damage teeth. Okay. And and can we connect like drinking sodas and stuff like that with tooth damage? So it was done on behalf of of the dental profession. Um, but either way, it, it is true. There are a lot of beverages we drink that have extremely low pHs, um, not just sodas, which do. They're down in the two point. I have this big list in front of me. Hold on. Oh, there's my Diet Dr. Pepper. It's 3.2. Coke Cherry Zero is 2.93. Caffeine-free Coke is 2.34. These are very low pHs, by the way. That means more acidic. The lower the number, the more acidic. The higher the number, the more alkaline. Um, but so, by the way, is lemon juice, as you may imagine. Incredibly acidic, and we can drink that. Yeah. Stomach acid. We don't, really. Well, but if you did, it wouldn't kill you. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, you ever do that with the Miracle Berries, folks? Get some Miracle Berries and try it. It's wild. Uh, stomach acid is actually a little lower than, than what you mentioned. That 3.5 is on the high end of the pH of stomach acid. It can be as low as 1.5, so which can account for differences in, like, if you vomit and it hurts. The other thing I will say is, like, when you vomit, lots of stuff is coming up your esophagus in the wrong direction. There are lots of reasons it burns other than just the stomach acid, whereas when you're sipping small amounts of a beverage, you're, you know, it's not going to hurt. Um but the point is, yes, the pH does mean the acid power of something. I think what you got to take into context is like oh, our bodies handle acid pretty well. We have a lot of mechanisms to balance out as acidic things and balance out alkaline things. Um, so you can drink these beverages and they won't necessarily do harm. Now, obviously, if you do have something like ulcers where your stomach lining is more, you know, sensitive, you want to be more careful with acidic beverages, and they do I, impact dentition. They can damage your teeth. Mm. So, um, you're you bet you're just guessing there because you don't know anything about teeth. Right? I read this study by dentists who told me, so okay. I wouldn't have known anything by, about teeth except the dentist told me. What's up with the goop in your eyes? My eyes created goop. It seems to grab on a hair and other particulate in my eye and tracks in the inner corner. What is that stuff? That's from McKinsey. Do you know what the the eye goop sleep? We call it sleep. Yeah. In West Virginia, I don't know if that's what everybody calls it. I well, so I've heard people call it eye boogers. I I can't. I, like I know. That. I don't like that. So I call it sleep. You got some sleep in your eye or crusties. 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 Yeah. Um, it's mucus, dead skin cells, <laughs> and oil, and then tears that you cried overnight that sort of crusted in there too. So it's the Sandman's sand. <laughs> Got it. Okay, I heard it. I heard it. Hey, folks, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you've enjoyed yourself. Um, hey, if you find yourself in need of some new, uh, call it maybe clothing, you need clothing, you need pins, stickers, dice, mugs, notebooks, temporary tattoos, tiebreaker coins, whatever you need, head on over to McElroyMerch.com because this is very exciting. All purchases this month – 10% of all our proceeds are going to Fairness West Virginia, 
which is a statewide civil rights advocacy organization dedicated to fair treatment and civil rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender West Virginians, which is a great group. We've worked with them mm-hmm. many times. We, we have, and, and I'm excited that um, you all can help us support them. So head on over to McElroyMerch.com and get some of that uh, great stuff. Thank you. Um, thanks to taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Um, if you're going to be in the uh, Boston area, uh, we are going to be uh, doing some My Brother, My Brother, and Me and Taz Adv- Adventure Zone shows up there in that region here in just, oh gosh, now I guess it's just a, uh, about a week and a half away. Um, so if you want to come see us, we would sure uh, love to see you. June 17th, Taz is in Boston. Uh, June 18th, we got Mabim Bam in Boston. June 19th, uh, we're going to be at Foxwoods in Mashantucket, Connecticut uh, with Mabim Bam. You can go to uh, Family and click on tours and get tickets to that. And we would love to see you there. So thanks so much. And that's going to do it for us. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. All right. Yeah. org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.